great future. We're talking real money. The great debate. Yes, there's a huge debate about which is better. Is it less filling or is it tastes great? No, wait, that wasn't the debate. Which, which, yeah, that was the old uh, somebody light beer. No, no, the debate is Roth or regular. Should you go regular or should you go less filling with a Roth? Well, I don't know that we're going to be able to solve that debate, but we're certainly going to help you try to determine which is better for you and your situation. (laughs) And I have a feeling I already know the answer, Tom. I'm thinking it may be, it depends. It does depend. I mean, this is one of those, and by the way, the Roth uh, goes all the way back to 1998. Thank you. Uh, William Roth, U.S. Senator from Delaware, whose name is uh, fixed to this retirement method, if you will, a retirement, I don't know what else to call it. I mean, it's a... Boy, you gotta you gotta think that Biden wishes he'd put his name on that. Was he in the Senate? Exactly. He's also from yeah. up there. Too. Delaware. Anyway, the point... Yeah, yeah so this put comes up Put your money a in a Biden. There you go. <laughs> I think Put Roth your money in a better, Trump. Eh. Oh, no, no, no. That sounds works terrible. Way better. Uh, so, I mean, this comes up a lot. This is a question that we get a lot. Like, okay, I'm 30 and I make $100,000 a year. Should I do pre-tax traditional uh, mm-hmm. 401k or should I do post-tax Roth? And I think this is going to come to be a bigger issue because of what just happened with secure 2.0, right? Where now you can get matches from your employer and they got to change their employer plan first in mm-hmm. Roth, right? There will be no RMD for Roth 401k contributions, right? Where there had been before. Um, so the, the secure 2.0, oh, and by the way, I'll be talking about this at retirement in a couple of days. That will be at the center. Don't count of, on this. Don't, don't count on this episode playing pre-retirement. Oh, now I'm going to, well, you can go watch yeah. it. You can go watch it afterwards too. So right. it'll be available online. I, I don't know anyway, when this so, episode's going to play. <laughs> all right. Good question. So, so to this end, I mean, okay, let's just a couple of basics. What mm-hmm. you're betting on traditional versus Roth is what your tax rate is today versus what your tax rate will be when you take the money out, basically. That's the big question. Am yeah. I going to be in a higher bracket when I retire exactly. or a lower bracket when I retire? And most people you would anticipate would be in a lower bracket. Not every, most. Most people, your bracket would be lower. So I think there's a couple of pretty easy things we can say here. If your bracket today is 24% or more, I'm thinking you really should use the pre-tax. You know, you probably should just take the traditional, take the deduction, put the money in there uh, and and let it ride. Uh, Number two, here's the thing that I think people overlook about their retirement savings, especially when they're in the accumulation phase. It makes sense to have money in different tax buckets, if you will, pre-tax, post-tax like Roth and even taxable like just a regular brokerage account because then you design a strategy around when to withdraw money and where to take it from which is really i think important and here's one of the big ones i see a big problem that people have i think the uh, current tax rates are expected to sunset or are on to sunset in 2026 many people say well wait tax rates are going to go up automatically then right Eh, nobody knows that. I mean, I would take tax policy as it is today and not what it might be. So I would only invest with that in mind. And I'd be looking at my personal situation. 
So back to the young person, 30 years old, saving money, have $100,000 in income. I would probably still, here's another idea. Maybe some of both. Maybe take mm. the deduction for part of it and I'm put part still, in the Roth. Uh, honestly, the, the, the bracket for somebody earning $30,000, be it single or married, the top bracket is 12%. Yeah, no, I said a hundred thousand. So, um, oh, I yeah, you said, you're right. Yeah, no, no, no I but said what, thirty oh, years I old, hundred thousand, hundred thousand. Yeah, somebody a thirty, thirty years old, a hundred thousand. Yeah, that's in twenty two. Correct. Uh, so if there, you're, if you're it's married. a little gray. Right? It's a little. Uh, it's not so. In clear. fact, it's the year in the twenty four. If you're single, earning a hundred. There you go. And I again if, at twenty four, I'd be saying take the pre tax deduction. Uh, remember, mm-hmm. by the way, back to the the Roth match. That is going to come as income. So if your employer gives you a match in in your Roth 401k, that's going to be income, which may, again, you may not like. Um, and there's some other advantages that Roth got again here, back to the 529s to Roth, et cetera, et cetera, that, are, that came up as part of the Secure 2.0. I'm sorry, but if you don't like your employer matching your Roth IRA contribution and you having to pay a little bit of taxes on free money, um, I have no sympathy for you. <laughs> it's hard to, to have gripe that. about. I guess so. So yeah, again, this is uh, this is an area that needs continuing work. This is not an area where I would be looking at like what's the tax policy going to be because people do not know. They're going to say they do, but they don't know what it's going to be when when uh, changes come in twenty twenty six as a result of uh, as I say sunsetting out the current rates. I take it today. I'd look at my tax rate today. And this is something you can change all the time, right? Because your employer plan allows you hopefully to at least change on a quarterly basis, right? To change from pre-tax to post-tax. So you don't have to, this isn't set it and forget it forever. You can make that change as you go along. So I think this is a worthy debate, tax rate today, what it might be tomorrow, and the idea of sort of having a diversified approach to different types of savings for retirement. I love that. And I'm going to go off on a tangent based on something you said. You said you don't know what the future rates will be. Some of you may say you know, but you don't know. And this is a problem we have. Um, we, we confuse beliefs with knowledge. Just because you believe something might happen doesn't mean you know it will happen. In fact, there is absolutely no way you will know anything about the future. Know it. You may think it, you may believe it, you may predict it, but there's no way, no way you know it. I think this came up, speaking of retire meet last year, I think somebody there asked you a question about, well, this is going to happen. And you you said to everybody there and everybody (laughs) online, one minute from now, you don't know anything about the future. I mean, the future could mm-hmm. be completely different <laughs> in one minute. So I think that's a very, very, very good point. I, so, yeah, I, think I wanted a to say, lot of uh, sir, you could die from a heart attack before I yeah. finish this sentence. Exactly. Well, no. Okay. We try to revive you, but you know, you could. Yeah, not if they're arguing with the great Don McDonald. Maybe, maybe not. I, we'll have to think. No, 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 no. I'm so good. I'm so good. I take them down. I just, I, I, I might, don't I argue have again. Literally, Learned your lesson. I, a, I literally, my wife tells me I have a killer, killer argument. 
She goes, well, don't you ever are a talk argue show with host. talk show host. Don't never ever argue that's, with talk show host. That's dumb. You're never going to win. So I think that's fair. Hey, um, you know, we, we answer questions. It's one of our favorite things to do. We answer them all the time. We answer them on our Saturday show live. We take your calls not live. I guess that would be dead. We take calls ah, recorded speaking of heart at attacks, 855-935-TALK. Uh, we also take them at TalkingRealMoney.com on the contact form, both written and spoken. And Tom, Tom is the collector of the written word. Because, <laughs> I have a lot of these. <laughs> yeah, Tom yeah. gets all the written stuff. So mm. Tom has the written questions, and I will be the official. Wait, let me get my paper. I'm the answer man. All right, let's go. All Ready? right, this comes from yeah. Ron in Martinsburg, West Virginia. Martinsburg, West Virginia. Not familiar. Okay, I've heard you. It's in West Virginia. Speak- Okay, I've heard of you and others speak, which is west of Virginia, I guess. Others speak to the importance of rebalancing our accounts. I, however, I've never heard of anyone explain when and how. Explain when the appropriate time to rebalance our portfolios and how to do it. Thank you for the public service to your listeners. There are a couple of ways to rebalance. You can start with probably the simplest, which is just a timed rebalance. You mark a date on a calendar and you commit to that date every year, no matter what the markets are doing. The problem, you can't just say, I'm going to rebalance every year. You need to set a date. Otherwise, when you get to the, you know, like, oh, it's roughly a year, but you know, I'm close enough. I'm just going to wait a little while until the market goes up a little more, or I'm going to wait till it goes down a little more so I can buy cheaper, until it whatever. Calms down. Until yeah, it calms until, down. I'm going to wait till it's yeah. more, more, yeah, less volatile. Normal. You know how yeah, markets are normally not volatile, right? Wow. I'm going to wait for that. Uh, so you need a date. The other way to do it is to pick a percentage. If any particular part of your portfolio gets out of balance by X percent, for example, you have 60% in equities and I'm just going to go simple, 60% in stocks, 40% in bonds, your stocks get to 65, your bonds to 35. It's time to sell enough of those stocks to get them down to 60 and the bonds back up to 40. Yeah, I don't want to mention either of those. You do that as a percentage, yeah. Exactly. I mean, the problem there, you could run into more trades in a year than you want. Uh, The other part is, as you said, oftentimes people look at that and say, well, wait, I don't want to sell the thing that's going up, even though it's the thing that's gone up. I don't want to sell that because it's going up. Well, it may go back down. Uh, Number two is it just, it takes not beyond the discipline. It's just more work. Because if you do this annually and you sort of say, well, I'm 60, 40, my birthday next year, I'm going to rebalance. Well, that's a lot easier. It it, it sort of gives you the out of having to do it. And it's one time a year. But here's the disadvantage. Here's the huge disadvantage. People believe rebalancing is about making more money. Most of the time, it's about keeping more money. Because what you're doing is selling the thing that went up and putting it into something Mm -hmm. that's gone down. So you're really kind of taking your winnings. Best analogy is, yeah, gambling. You're at a craps table. You you won. Take some of your winnings off the, some or all of your winnings off the table and just play with the money you brung. And this is another advantage to having the right type of advisor, because to brag a little bit in the spring of 2020, as you know, bonds went way up because it appeared the end was near with the outbreak of COVID. Stocks plummeted, bonds went up. 
in our portfolios, well, the percentage just got out of whack. We had to sell those bonds and buy stocks to get back to the right percentage. Guess what happened after that trade? We looked like geniuses because stocks yeah, then but, went but up th- and Yeah, but there were clients unhappy. Oh, they're very you know, unhappy they're, because people they're like, get, why are you well, selling wait, those you things? Sold, you sold the stuff that was doing well. What? Exactly. So, But it's not a prescience. It's not nope. a it's not a matter of us nope. being prescient. It's just sticking to the discipline. Now, the way you do it too matters. I mean, the way not matters, but that was part of his question is how do you do it? You very simply take the part of the portfolio that's gone up, whatever that might be, an ETF, a mutual fund, whatever, you sell a portion of it. That means you're going to have a taxable event if it's in a taxable account. Sorry, you made money. And then you go in and you buy the losers. You buy the things that have that have declined in value relative to the others. Exactly. And again, it for some people that's hard. Other people, eh, I got it in a spreadsheet. It's easy. I think for most people, it's a tad counterintuitive. It takes a fair amount of time, and it also takes the ability to not watch what's going on in the world because if you do. You're not going to want to make that trade. Great question. Thank oh, you, Ron. Yeah. We got one Keeping your me. emotions in yeah. check is so hard. hard. Oh, go ahead. We got another question. This one comes from Jim in Cuba City, Wisconsin. You ever been to Cuba City, Wisconsin? Sounds Cuba City, long way from Cuba. Anyway, no. uh, all right. Uh, he says, uh, I'm dollar cost averaging into my Roth IRA at Fidelity. Yay, that's great. I want to start adding SCV. I'm assuming this is small cap value. Mm-hmm. Sounds like the small Fidelity cap SCC vi- index fund tracks the Russell 2000 value. I can't find much history on that index. I'm seeing a lifetime return of 4.48%. Is this still a good fund? What's the what? what's the symbol? What's the symbol? By the way, he doesn't. It just says the Fidelity SCV index. It doesn't give us a ticker. Yeah, small cap. I value can tell you something line. about small cap value while Don's looking that up. Going back almost a hundred years now, almost a hundred years of data, small cap value has outperformed those bigger growth firms to the extent of more than two and a half percent. Per year, not every year. So don't call me next year. That didn't work out this year. But over the long haul, they have provided a much larger return. Now they're more volatile. They're riskier assets, but they've given your portfolio a huge boost over that time. Any chance? And let me just tell you, let me just tell you what you, it only has uh, about four years of history, but that doesn't matter. Here's the no. Yeah, but here's the deal. One, I don't find a 4.48. I'm looking at Morningstar, and I see a three-year average annual of 8.81. I only see a 4.48 for 2020, just for 2020. Maybe that was it. I don't know. 2021, though, was up 28. 2022, it was down 14. Year-to-date this year, it's up 10. But you're doing, you're making the mistake that everybody makes, and I made it. I'm sure Tom made it. Everybody makes this mistake. Don't look at past performance because past performance doesn't mean a thing. We're not trying to pick the hottest fund. What we're trying to do is have asset classes that have shown historically to outperform just owning the market. And what is the reason why small cap value outperforms the broader market or the S&P 500? Why does it outperform? It's a very simple answer. Or why has it outperformed? We don't know that it will. Yeah, these why? are riskier companies than the large it, growth it. ones. That's it. Really? Yeah. It's that simple. 
So you're going to take more risk. But the fact, here's the thing. Don't worry about what the what the performance has been in the past. Don't make comparisons one fund to another because then you're going to get caught up in that stupid little game we play trying to pick the best fund based on past performance, which says nothing about the future performance. Nothing. It's not even indicative of it. I'm going to argue with you just a little bit here because when you say past performance, I think people think, well, what do I look at? I would I would say don't look at recent past performance because this is where people get caught up in recency bias. Well, it's been better well, to okay. be this way. You, you, so. I, okay, look at recent performance of an asset class, though. Don't do it on a fund-by-fund basis. Bingo. Because you may be yeah. going, you know, okay, I want, I want the best small-cap value fund. So you're going to go comparing them all, and it may be that over the past even 20 years – there is a managed small cap value fund. It may sure. be the case that has outperformed the index over 20 years. It's possible. But what does that outperformance tell you about that fund? Does it tell you they're smarter than the market? Maybe. But what's the most likely answer in a world of thousands of mutual funds? That is a random occurrence. They could have just been lucky. Has anyone ever, 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 ever tossed a coin and gotten heads 20 times in a row? Yep. Not good odds of that happening, but it does occasionally happen. So you've got to not base this on trying to pick the right thing. Uh, I just want to see something here. I was going to pull up a small cap value. Uh just an, an actively managed one from Fidelity, to be fair, and I just wanted to see how it performs uh, much better. So you see, if you're trying to pick pick a performer, you could have looked at the Fidelity uh, small cap value fund and paid a much higher expense ratio, 1% per year, 1% per year, compared wow. to 0.05 for the index. And you would have, over the past three years, made more money. But that doesn't tell you a thing about what you might make in the future. Not a thing. That's why I'm, I want to get you away from comparing fund to fund. Asset yeah. class to asset class, sure. Fund to fund, no. Active managed, out. Actively managed, out of the equation completely. And again, our portfolios, we think your portfolio should be globally diversified with all of these asset classes, not trying to pick the one that's been best recently but stood spreading it all out because that's the best approach has been, pardon me, the best approach over the long haul. And uh, if you need some help, some personalized help, we know that's hard to find. We know it's hard to find an advisor you can trust because so many of them are not trustworthy. As a matter of fact, my belief, based on a great deal of information, is that the majority of those who provide financial advice or call themselves financial advisors are not trustworthy because they don't tell the truth. And most of them are not going to give you any, any advice for free. Not advice that's actionable and any good for you anyway. They'll say, oh, yeah, I'll go, yeah, buy, buy these funds from me. Oh, well, that'll make you money. If you want advice that is in your best interest, that doesn't cost anything for which there is no obligation and where you don't have to sit through some obnoxious timeshare pitch, 
Because you know, those timeshare guys, I am working on you, that. <laughs> they give you a nice room. They do. I've done this. They give you like a nice oh, room boy, for I've a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. But then you got to sit through that 90 minute oh, pitch. Grind your there teeth. There will yeah. be no pitch with our advisors. Now, this I want to know who the guy who comes in after norm. me when they when they say no. Is that who's next after me to get the job done in the pitch? Gets, <laughs> you are not going to do well in timeshare when you're done with all this. Uh, uh, anyway, so you could. This you could do this. By the it, way, your new form what? has been killer. You redesigned really? the website. Yeah, yeah. Because a, a lot of people wrote in over the recent weekend. So if you go to talkingrealmoney.com, talkingrealmoney.com, and click on Meet an Advisor. It's great because you put in your name and you put in actually a preferred day and time you want to meet. And boy, a lot of people mm-hmm. have done this. So take advantage of this. Uh, this it's offer. right there at the top of the page. It's a button. It's just a Very nice, button. easy, easy to get to. And it's easy to fill out and it's easy to do. And the meeting will not, I guarantee not stress you out and you won't get a sales pitch, period. If you want to work with us, groovy. If you don't, thank you for listening and thank you for the opportunity to help you out. That's our, our, that's our belief. We, we appreciate the opportunity to help you do this better. Unlike so many others, Rick Edelman. Uh, oh, 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 did I give it away? <laughs> Rick Ouch. used to be so, Rick used to be good. He's just, uh, whatever's he's there, weird. he's chasing it. He's got some other new thing, I'm sure. He's gotten weird since Financial Engines gave him all those billions of dollars. It went to his head. Anyway, thanks for being a part of it. We're going to be back again really soon doing this thing we do, which is, in fact, talking real money. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately and consistently predict the future, so past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Capital, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. That's a wrap.